0: of the 12 days of Christmas. I should have that next week for you. One of the problems with that, if you know the history of that song, uh, it is claimed that the song uh, with the partridge and the pear tree is a uh, is a code and that that code is part of a catechism for when believers were not allowed to practice their faith. It's unlikely that that's the case but the counting of the 12 days from Christmas to the eve of Epiphany is of ancient uh, tradition, and so I'm adapting some of the uh, content of those, um, uh, those days and the numbers for us to have kind of a focus to, uh, to celebrate that in our homes, and I'll have that next week. Last week I uh, briefly did the uh, uh, theology of the Christmas hymns with... Uh, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. We were abbreviated, so I couldn't go into much of it. Uh, We're still kind of short today, but I want to um, talk about one of the uh, Christian hymns and its theology. Uh, Today we lighted the candle of joy, so I want to address the Christmas hymn that fits that theme, Joy to the World. We've sung it earlier in the service, and it's one of those Uh, songs that if you're not careful you sing that and then you say, wait a minute, what is that talking about? Because those things that it's talking about haven't happened so do we just pretend they've happened? And the reality is it's really part of what Advent uh, is. Uh, It's very much a part of the actual focus of Advent. The word Advent means coming and the focus of Advent uh, season is preparation for the coming of the Lord. The confusion is the blurring of the two comings of the Lord. That time when he came as a baby grew up and became our great high priest in bringing his sacrifice for the atonement uh, of our sin. And then he ascended. And then uh, will return again. And so in some sense, uh, this creates some confusion. But Advent and you'll see this in all the Christian hymns, Uh, they both refer to the birth in Bethlehem and they refer to the kingdom and the creation restored because we really probably could call it Advent season. One of the reasons that the church does not celebrate historically the second coming at the time of Yom Terah and Yom Kippur is that the meanings of those have been moved over to more closely resemble the uh, the symbolism of of Jesus, and so atonement gets moved over to Good Friday and Ascension uh, and Pentecost with the idea of the what the high priest did in entering into the holy of holies and the second coming and tabernacles, which Yom Terah and uh, uh, Sukkot would would express gets moved over into Advent and Advent then of course overlaps with Hanukkah and creates even greater confusion for people. Now if you observe these you begin to understand those but if you don't and you're just trying to learn them you you can get you can get confused very easily. So the Jewish people as they search the scriptures regarding the coming of the Messiah found two different notions. One was the coming of a Messiah who would suffer, and one was the coming of a Messiah who would rule and reign uh, in the throne of David. We see this first one in many, many passages. I'm only going to mention three uh, for a brevity of time. The first one is in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. In Genesis uh, chapter 3, we have the, the first sin, the sin of Adam and Eve. And when God confronts them in that, uh, he says in verse 14 in reference to the serpent, Because you have done this, tempted Eve, resulting in the intentional sin of Adam. Because you have done this, cursed you are more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This statement, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel, gives the idea that the ultimate victory of this one, the seed of the woman who will come, will ultimately crush Satan. But there will be some suffering involved on the part of that one as well. Now that's very cryptic, but it begins to be expressed. It's expressed in its greatest sense in Isaiah chapter 53, a passage that we read in our liturgy a couple of times in the year, uh, certainly on... uh, Good Friday we use it and we use it also around the Day of Atonement. Uh, This is that passage that talks about the suffering one who is uh, going to uh, suffer. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I want you to uh, see in verse 9 it says, His grave was assigned with wicked men, and he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. He would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. We get both this idea of death and this idea of eternal life, both in that context. This is what begins to give a struggle with what exactly are we talking about. Maybe there are two messiahs, one who comes and dies and one who comes and reigns. Finally, in the book of Daniel, in chapter 9, beginning at verse 24, uh, we are given a prophecy regarding the people of Israel. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy place. And then he comes down and says in verse 26, after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, will die, and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And there will be desolation in that context. So what happened in Israel is they began to think in terms of two Messiahs. Messiah ben Yosef, the Messiah who is the son of Joseph, who, like Joseph, is rejected by his brothers. And ultimately, though, is the basis of their salvation. And then a Messiah, son of David, who is the one who will rule and reign like Solomon in the place of David. Over time, the idea of the Messiah, son of Joseph, began to fade And Judaism began to see itself as the suffering servant of the Lord because of their uh, struggle among the nations where God had sent them. And so this notion of looking for a suffering Messiah is less in the mindset of religious Jews than we might think because they see that suffering in in their own context. So they focus more, more strongly on the Messiah, son of David, who will reign. And that is in part why they don't see Jesus as the Messiah. The curse is not gone. The sin is not uh, done away with. The, the the regathering has not happened. The restoration has not happened. The lion is not lying down with the lamb. So perhaps the Messiah uh, who is to come and do that is not uh, this one that the Christians claim he is. So, these two ideas uh, show up and Israel begins to look more focused on Messiah ben David. Now, this hymn that we are looking at, and I forgot my hymnal. Uh, thank you. This hymn that we're looking at focuses mostly On the second coming. And so in that sense. Both Jews and Christians. Are waiting the same thing. We're waiting for Messiah to come. And establish righteousness. In all the world. And it is that. Which this hymn is about. This hymn is not joy to the world. A baby is born. Let earth receive. The child. It's not not talking about that. Um, It begins with. This, uh, these words, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Not only king of Israel, but king of uh, the, all the nations, right? Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. So this first verse is a hint between the first and second comings. Joy to the world is the message of the angels. We bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Messiah, a Savior, who is literally going to be king, right? But the focus there is on the Saviorhood. So we, the, scripture, the song here says, Let earth receive her king. The king of Israel is going to sit on the throne of David. Now it's important to keep that in mind. The church, I've talked about how Israel doesn't quite see these correctly, the church doesn't see it correctly either. Because in most church theology, Jesus is sitting on a throne now, reigning over the whole world. And the truth is, that's not what's going on. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest, awaiting the time when he will come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so the idea is that, hey, let, you know, accept King Jesus now. He is a king, if you will, in exile, awaiting the time when he will come in. He will come and receive his bride and receive his throne. And that throne is the throne of David. and That's an earthly throne uh, over Israel, which will be the head of all the nations in that context. Now we get this. Uh, In the passage it says, let every heart prepare him room. Interesting. Now, is that just Christian rhetoric? Let Jesus come into your heart. No, that's Mm -hmm. biblical rhetoric. That's biblical prophecy. I want you to look with me at Ezekiel chapter uh, 36. Ezekiel 36 uh, at verse 22. "...therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations." God says, I'm going to do something in Israel that will affect even the nations. And he says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst." Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Catch this. I will prove myself holy among Israel in the sight of the nations. Not holy in the sight of the nations, but holy in Israel in the sight of the nations. Okay? Really important to keep that in mind. He says, I will gather you from the nations, verse 24, take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will spring clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinance. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers. So you will be my people. And I will be your God. Now he goes on. But that ought to be enough. That has not happened. But that will happen. When we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive its king, let every heart prepare him room, that message is to the Jew first. And that preparing of the heart is the removing of the heart of stone, which by the way we have as well. And then a new heart and the spirit of God so that we will walk in obedience to what God commands. In this case, in the case of Israel, in full obedience to the Torah. No wonder Jesus said I didn't come to make the Torah go away. I came to bring it into full operation. And he will do that in this second coming. So, uh, Romans chapter 10 uh, talks to us about that. uh, And so I want to look at that. Romans chapter 10 uh, verses 8 through 13. What does it say? He's talking about the scriptures. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is Deuteronomy being quoted. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says whoever trusts in him Will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the good news of the joy has to go out that they may call upon the Lord in anticipation that the Messiah will in fact bring the kingdom into its fullness. So that's verse one. Verse two. Now it begins to really focus on the second coming. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Now, I want you to catch this. The Savior, the one who came as Savior in the first coming, now reigns. He has come again this time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's going to reign so that men may rejoice in that and praise God for the great things that he has done. And the creation is going to join into that because the creation's part of that great salvation. So, verse 2, I want to look at Romans chapter 8. Just a little ways back from where we were. Romans 8, 18 to 25. I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but by reason of him who placed it uh, in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what he's talking about is not only is salvation going to be a transformation of us and the resurrected body, but a transformation of the creation itself in that context. And in Isaiah 55, you notice these passages all seem to be close to each other. Because that's the theme. In Isaiah 55. uh, uh, 1 through 13. It really talks about all of this. But I want you to. uh, Pick up the last couple of verses. Uh, Verse. Verse 11 says. So. Well, my word will be when it goes forth from my mouth. It will not not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. There's no prophecy that God has sent that isn't going to come to fulfillment. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. The thorns of the ground will turn into bushes and and trees of glory. The trees of the field will clap. Let heaven and nature sing, right? And the rocks, hills, and trees will repeat the sounding joy. What a great, what a great, thing. the whole creation will praise the Lord in that context. Now, in verse 3 of our hymn, it says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the grounds. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as curse is found. That curse goes back to Genesis chapter 3. God says to Adam in verse 17 through 19, Cursed is the ground because of you. And it will bring forth thorns and in the sweat of your brow you're going to eat bread because dust you are and to dust shalt thou return. There's a curse. This world is cursed. We know it in our health problems, we know it in the struggles of life, we know it in that all the creation, though designed to show the glory and beauty of God, there are things that we just uh, just suffer pain and anguish over because they just don't work perfectly. Awaiting the time when it will work perfectly. And so we get this. In the context, now if we had time, we don't have time, I'd go to Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Deuteronomy 27 is a listing of all the curses based on disobedience of God and all the blessings based on obedience of God and the good news is the curses are going away but the blessings aren't going away. The blessings will remain and the blessings will go as far as the curse was found. Even to California. You know? And in Romans 8, 3-11 to the scripture says that what the law could not do weak through the flesh God did in sending His Son to condemn sin in the flesh not us. Condemn sin in the flesh that we might be able to To obey God because we will walk by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And I can't wait for that day to come. When obeying God will not be a struggle. My mind says, why are you struggling with God? He knows a lot more than you do. My flesh says, I want to do it my way. And you guys have the same problem. And we're constantly battling it. The day when we will rise... And our spirit and our mind and our body will be in total sync to obedience of God and praise and the blessings of God flowing far as the curse is found is amazing, just amazing. Which brings us to our last verse. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. The wonders. The wonders of his love. This is not just a story for Israel. Israel's the center of it. But they become the light that's reflected by this globe of nations. You ever seen a, a, a candle that's like this? It, it lights pretty well. But if you put a globe around it and it reflects that light, that light goes everywhere, right? The glory comes to Israel. They become a light to the nations. The Messiah is from them. Salvation is of the Jews. But it comes to all of God's creation because we are God's people too. And he's calling us to be with him. And the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Uh, What a great, what a great thing. I love Isaiah chapter two. We sing this song uh, every once in a while. When I first started singing it, uh, just sang the song. Didn't I knew it was in Isaiah, but you know, it's it's a great song. Let's sing it. Uh, it says in in Isaiah uh, two uh, one, the word of the Lord, the son, uh, the word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Oh, it's for Judah and Jerusalem. Watch. Now in the last days, it will come about that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mount. Zechariah talks about it. The mountain will be lifted up. Jerusalem will be the highest mountain. And the, and the temple will be on there, right? And many peoples, that's Gentiles, not Jews, will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord to Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations and render decisions for many peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their shears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and will never again learn war. Now catch this. Who's the one who sings this song? It isn't Israel. It's us. We're the ones that say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. I always love it when I'm with Messianic Jews and they sing it like it's their song. And I keep saying to them, it's our song. That's our song. You will be restored and we get to come along. That's our song. I love it. That's fantastic. And Revelation chapter 11 ultimately tells us this process. Revelation 11, 15 through 19. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, I can't read that verse without hearing Handles Messiah. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! He shall all that right just goes on. It's that is nothing compared to what it will be. And the twenty-four elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped, saying, "We give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign." The nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God which is in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. There were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, an earthquake and a great hailstorm. He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Now that is joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. So, probably we ought to sing that just one more time. Okay? So grab your hymnals. I don't know that we want to record this part. Because <laughs> I have a mic on me. two seventy. Are you gonna record anything else? Say what? Afterwards? No, I'm done. Except for QA.